With 6.08 left in the second quarter, Minnesota faced a critical third and eight from their own 27-yard line. The Vikings were in empty formation with five receiving options on the play. Chicago responded with a two-deep look. After the ball was snapped, Cousins quickly recognized the green grass in front of him. Chicago's pass rush worked their way down the field, allowing Cousins to step up and try to run for the first down. He was tackled right at the first down marker, and the hit drew a flag. After meeting to discuss the penalty, though, the referees decided to pick up the flag. The Vikings thus faced a fourth and half a yard from around their own 35. Originally, Zimmer decided to send the punt team onto the field, but Chicago timeout allowed Minnesota's coaches to reconsider. Zim sent his offense back onto the field. Minnesota deployed 21 personnel against a stout Chicago front. Before the ball was snapped, Adam Thielen motions from the right side to the left, which is supposed to help create a crease in the defense. Unfortunately, Chicago's defense wasn't fooled, and Dalvin's Cook, Dalvin Cook's run was tackled for a loss. Welcome to Notes from the North with Kyle and Sam. Welcome to Notes from the North, the official podcast of the Vikings Gazette. We're proud to partner with Vikings Territory, Purple PTSD, and Purple Territory Radio. If you're looking for great Vikings coverage, be sure to stop by these sites, and you're always welcome at the Vikings Gazette. And with that being said, we want to get into our first down. First, Kyle, I... I know for myself, I don't actually know exactly what it means, and, and others may not. Uh, what do you mean by 21 personnel when you're telling that story in the, at the start there? So when you – so offensive personnel packages, which is basically just, you know, the actual players in the field for offense, you refer to these personnel packages. And so you have a numbered system to kind of indicate who's on the field. And so there are 11 players per side, so 11 players in your offense. Six of those players are assumed. You've got five offensive linemen and a quarterback. That's almost almost always the case. So now we, we've got six players that we're going to assume are already on the field. And so when we have these numbers, like, say, 21 personnel, that's going to refer to the remaining five players. How many tight ends are on the field? How many running backs are on the field? How many wide receivers are on the field? And that's really what you're referring to with the 21 personnel. And so the first number is going to refer to your running backs. The second number is going to refer to your tight ends. And then the third is going to be inferred. So you have 21, that's two running backs. Okay, so therefore we're up to eight players. And then we, uh, and then we have a tight end, so we're up to nine. Okay, great. That means we only have two spots left. So therefore we have two wide receivers. So when we say 21 personnel, 21 is going to be a heavier look, right? Because you have, you're probably going to have a fullback on the field. You've got a tight end. And so that's a personnel package that, I mean, generally speaking, it tends to hint at run. Uh, teams obviously will take advantage of this and they'll pass a lot of times out of it because obviously tight ends can catch and running backs can catch. And if you have two talented receivers like Thielen and Jefferson, they can get open seemingly at will. And so uh, it doesn't, this isn't the gospel law by any means, but when you, when you run 21 personnel onto the field, first thing your, your mind should be going to run. And so that's the unfourth and one, the Vikings send 21 personnel out there, uh, half a yard. I think in my mind, I'm thinking run. Chicago, I think was uh, seeing that same thing as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, yeah, as we transition into just talking about the offense and the game, it was very obvious very quickly that running up the middle 
of the field with the way that Chicago's defense is set up and their personnel there, that wasn't an option. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it's part of what makes Minnesota, part of the reason why I like Minnesota's coaching staff is because they're really stubborn. They have a vision and they have a plan and they pursue it. NFL trends be damned. It doesn't matter. They, they kind of have their identity and what they want to do and they go about doing that. And I respect that. But sometimes that stubbornness is also infuriating because you think it's like Sam was saying, like the strength of Chicago's defense is in that front seven, especially since two of their starting corners are injured in this game. So you say to yourself, okay, like Chicago's front seven is formidable. They're really, really strong. And Akeem Hicks always gives us more than we can handle. A weakness on our team is the interior of our offensive line. Okay, so that means now, so it, at least in my mind, to my small football brain, I say, okay, let's really emphasize Thielen and Jefferson. Let's get to the edge because running it up the middle is just not a good idea. Uh, but unfortunately, on that critical fourth down play, we chose to run to the left side right behind Dakota Dozer, who's our, our worst offensive lineman. And then, you know, Bradbury got blown up on the play as well, which is unfortunate. And as a tackle for a loss. And so I just don't understand why we, uh, I recognize that you want to give Dalvin Cook the ball. He is your, he's the offense, right? Like he is the centerpiece, but you also have dynamic talent elsewhere. And so it was a frustrating play call for sure at a critical moment. For sure. And I think I was, as I was watching, I, when they sent the punt team, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then they, they, the timeout happens and they come back out. And it was one of those things where I was like, I, you don't, I wasn't sure that you could count on them to get that yard. And like, it wasn't like, like against other teams and against other, the way other teams were going, you might be like, yeah, just Cook will get you a yard. But I was definitely not convinced. And I think those, I guess the thought that I had was you, you wanted to surprise the team that you're, yes. you're going against, right? You want to surprise them. And in some ways they really did adjust to not running it up the gut. Mm -hmm. And so it's like on a play like that, maybe it's worth going for it and going to to try to surprise them and running up the gut. But it just, it was never there. Like it was never, there was never yeah. a possibility. And it's yeah. always easier to, it's always easy to criticize play calls after the fact, but it's mm -hmm. always easier to criticize it in a situation like that where what you try to do hasn't worked at all. Exactly. It's especially since there are just so many factors where you say our offensive guards aren't good. Their defensive tackles are really good. It's fourth and half a yard. I mean, I, I have no issue at all. If Zimmer wants to be aggressive, that's no problem. I mean, I say you play to win. And so you you go for it there. I, I love that idea. It's the, the play call and the execution that bothers me. And so with fourth and half a yard, I hate the fact, one, that they run into the left side right at the strength of Chicago's defense, and two, that you're handing the ball off. When you hand the ball off, you're giving the ball. You're taking – the ball right now is at the start of the play. It's half a yard from where it needs to be to get a first down. When you hand the ball off, you're now four or five yards away from where you need to be for a first down. So to my mind, if you're going to do it, you're either attacking the edge so that you can avoid the strength of Chicago's defense, or you're doing a QB sneak, and, you, and, you, and you're trusting Cousins to – Surge forward, get up over the top, gain that half yard. We saw Mitchell Trubisky get a get a, a QB sneak at one point in the game. It's really tough to defend a half yard when it's just that kind of instant surge 
But uh, anyhow, I, I'm not the one calling the plays for the Vikings, which is probably a good thing. But that uh, that was certainly a frustrating play. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was also uh, some plays later, even in that the second to last drive that they had. Yes. Um, where where there was some some difficulties there. And, and yes. you know what, like one of the things that I did feel, and you mentioned earlier that you feel like the, the coaching staff is stubborn, but it did feel like there was a little bit of adjustment in terms of Cook was running away from from the pile, there was a few plays where they were getting the ball in the flat. Uh, like there, yeah. there was some adjustment. And I, I think we were talking yesterday, the offense wasn't necessarily the problem yesterday. No, no. I mean, there are, there are big moments where the offense fell flat, unfortunately. You know, Irv Smith drops a touchdown pass. That it, you know, they can't convert at another point in the red zone. I mean, there's the fourth down that we talked about. I mean, Sam mentioned the second, second, um, second last offensive drive. Some of the play calling there was suspect. Uh, but I think you're, I mean, by and large, I don't think you can blame the two offense too heavily, but then I also look at it and say, I mean, gosh, this is supposed to be the strength of the team. They get the ball back with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter after the dance interception, you know, it's 30 to 27, right? And then they go and they crap the bet and then they get the ball back again. And I mean, how much can I fault them for not getting the Hail Mary? I guess not that much. I suppose they gave themselves a shot. Uh, but that was frustrating. And then I was also seeing Will Regatz, who's the, the SI uh, Vikings beat reporter. He pointed out on his Twitter that Thielen had three targets yesterday and 11 yards. So you're paying this guy top-notch money because he's a top-notch receiver. And I recognize there are a lot of weapons in the offense. And I also recognize that Chicago's probably doing a fair bit to try and slow down Thielen. But man, oh man, uh, it's even, even with the success that Dalvin Cook found, even with, you know, Justin Jefferson got his fair share of targets, the tight ends get in on some stuff, which is really good. Uh, that that to me is is frustrating. Yeah. Uh, that Thielen's not featured more prominently. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, too, the, the injuries on, on Chicago's defense and just the way exactly. it was there. It just it felt like it was the perfect opportunity for for Cousins to really throw the ball exactly. and, and do that. But it just, it, it's hard when, with the pressure that Chicago was putting on him. Yeah. It, it, it just felt like he was always under duress. You, you mentioned the Hail Mary. I was curious because I think that you see on highlights, these Hail Mary plays that work. If you were to guess, I looked up this morning because I was curious. ESPN did an article actually. Um, they, they did it last year and then they refeatured it this year after Chicago or after the Arizona, um, Hail Mary that that uh, worked. Mm-hmm. What percentage of Hail Marys do you think are completed and are successful? If you were to guess, like just percentage wise. Yikes. Uh, is there is uh, did the study? Is there some sort of context? Is it you know over the past ten years in the NFL or what? What are, can you define? Yeah. yeah, good, good, good. I and I, I should have done that. So over the last ten years. And then that's through week 10 of 2020. So, so the last okay. 10 years. Okay. So we're, yeah, we're dealing with at a time when it's, I mean, the last 10 years would be really pass heavy. So it'd be easier. I, I would think to do it now than it would have been say 30 years ago, but even still, I'd maybe put me at 10%, 10% of the time. Yeah. Nine, 9.7%. Really? 
Yeah. Wow, that's that's a pretty good guess. Yeah, you did well. And, and honestly, we we didn't Sam and I didn't coordinate this. That was a for real guess. No, no, I it it like I was kind of like I don't know if it's higher or lower than I thought it would be, but but yeah, no. Anyways, that's impressive. This is this won't. I was gonna make you to guess, but there's no chance. Um, so yeah, actually, the first hail mary. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do know this. First hail mary in pro football was December twenty eighth, nineteen seventy five. Dallas Cowboys trailing the Minnesota Vikings 14-10. I did not know that. No, I didn't know that. But of course, of course, that's that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Cowboys lined up 50-yard line, make a move, go deep. Um, yeah, they made it happen. So anyways, just, just another piece of history for uh, for you Vikings fans. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, everyone loves Sam now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, it, it was in the article. I just saw it and I was like, you know what? I, I would, uh, I need to mention it. Sure. Um, don't, don't, don't shoot the messenger, I suppose. No, no. Second, uh, second down. Sure. We want to transition to the other side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. I think yeah. for me, largely the story was the inability to stop the run. Yeah. And that was, I mean, so I did a, a three key, I do a three keys article on the Vikings Gazette every Saturday. One of them, I said that the Vikings would be smart to attack the edges relentlessly. Thielen, Jefferson, Cook to the outside over and over and over again. Sometimes they did that well. Sometimes they didn't. One of my other keys was stopping the run early. Because, I mean, to my mind, if I'm a defensive coordinator, and I know Mitchell Trubisky, he played pretty well yesterday. So I got to tip the cap to him because he did have a nice game. But to my mind, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I want to force Chicago to win the ball with Trubisky. I want to do all that I can to shut down David Montgomery, Cordell Patterson, and put the ball in Trubisky's hands. That, that, that's going to be my mindset. Again, I'm not on Minnesota's coaching staff. You'd think that, but it's just so frustrating because, I mean, everyone knew that Chicago wanted to run the ball, but even still we couldn't stop them. And Montgomery's impressive, and the defense is depleted, but it's still a bit of a concerning trend for sure. It's it's tough. There's a balance there. I mean, you look at the front seven for the Vikings. You basically have backups across the board for your linebackers. And I mean, on your defensive line, you're you're missing your elite talent. And so I think that there's some frustration from Vikings fans where you say, man, these players are not very good. When I don't actually think that's the case. I don't think we have a lot of bad players. I think we have a lot of bad roles. And so we have guys who aren't playing within their proper role. So someone who should be our fourth or fifth linebacker is our first or our second, or someone who should be our fourth defensive end is in there playing all the time. You know, it's, you know, Sam's a hockey fan, but you think, you know, if you're, if you don't have a true number one center, what you have is a, a third line center playing up on that first line. I mean, that ripples throughout your entire lineup. Right. And so I think if you, if you infuse the Vikings defense with the elite talent that they do have, like Eric Hendricks, like Daniel Hunter, like Michael Pierce, some of these guys, and then you allow the other players to play in a proper role, I think that run defense looks completely different because now everyone has better matchups. Now there's, you know, Zimmer can do what he wants to do. And I know that's a lot of excuses, uh, especially since, I mean, I knew it. And everyone knew that Chicago wanted to run the ball and that they were going to try to run the ball consistently. And then they went out and did that and did it successfully. And so it's frustrating to see Minnesota not have a solution for that. But I, then I also want to 
you know, be fair in a sense that you basically have a defense apart from their safeties. And I think anyone in the analytics would community would tell you that safety is the least important position on defense. But apart from their two safeties, who you could say are elite, fine, they've basically their entire defense has been stripped of its elite talent. And so now you have basically backups across the board playing in roles that they're really not meant to be playing in. And that really has a dramatic impact on a defense. And I think you could say that basically any sport, that's true of basketball, that's true of hockey, that's true of football. When you put players in a role that they shouldn't be in, that you didn't envision for them in the first place, boys, that's a tough ask. Yeah, it it was watching it and and like I've tried to like I've explained, I'm I'm not a Minnesota Vikings fan. I've been able to watch games over the years, but I've known that the Vikings defense is has been for at least the last few years been kind of their their strength. And the games I've watched this year, it's there there's holes. It, yeah, uh, there's no way to to kind of beat around the bush. Like there's holes, and and you could see Montgomery, the way that he was able to break through yesterday. He, I was I was trying to look up what his yards after contact were yesterday, um, because he broke a lot of arm tackles. Yeah, um, but 146 yards on 32 carries and and two touchdowns. He was he was moving yesterday, and and there was not a whole lot stopping him and, and like you said them and, and Trubisky credit to him he played a, a great game uh, yep. it was also one of those things though where is that a reflection on him or the defense that he's playing both and I suppose a little bit of a little bit of b I mean Matt Nagy did a good job and their offensive coordinator did a good job of you know the bootlegs were really working well um you know, you, you see some of those plays. I mean, a bootleg, especially someone like Trubisky, it puts the defense in a bind because on that play, he can either obviously just tuck the ball and run or he can throw and he's out in an open space. And so typically what would happen is, I mean, traditionally the, def- the defense doesn't have to worry about the quarterback. The quarterback's going to be fairly stationary. And now the defense has a numbers advantage. It's 11 on 10 and that's great. But when you have a bootleg, with a quarterback who is athletic as Trubisky, now it's 11 on 11. And so that puts the defense in a bind. And so now you need to steal from Peter to pay for Paul. You need to take resources from one area of your defense to account for this extra player. And so that means maybe bringing a safety up or whatever, doing different things to try and uh, deal with this threat that is presented by a quarterback who can run like Trubisky. And unfortunately, the you know, just the linebackers, I, from my vantage point at least, I don't think they did a great job. You know, when you had a linebacker step up on Trubisky to respect the run, you know, someone's got to replace that coverage and someone's going to take on that man who he's leaving behind. And I, gosh, I just got to wonder, you know, if you have Kendricks in the lineup, how much different, you know, even even just Kendricks, even just, I'm not talking about getting Daniel Hunter back and Anthony, all these guys, just Kendricks. How much different would these play? Because he is so instinctive. He's so athletic. He's so intelligent. He does such a good job of getting his teammates where they need to be and then covering up their faults. He is that, you know, truly elite number one center, like in hockey, who can just make his line mates better, right? And so to lose him is tough. And then especially with how, I mean, tip of the cap to Chicago's game plan. I mean, they knew we were in a bind and they exploited that weakness repeatedly. And so 
tip, tip of the cap to their coaches and, and true Trubisky, like Trubisky played, I can't believe I'm saying this. He played really well and, and he looked really confident and played with a lot of swagger the whole game. So tip yeah. of the cap to him. I, and I was, as I was watching yesterday, like if you asked me before the game, who, who would you rather have Trubisky or cousins? Like, yeah, uh, it's cousins. Yeah. But yeah. watching yesterday, I was like, Trubisky probably, I, I, maybe it's not even that bold to say that Trubisky played the better game. Um, and, and was, and was, he was dynamic. Better. Yeah. He yeah. was dynamic. And, and to be able to, like you said, the, to be able to run. Uh, the one thing I think when it all is said and done, I said to you, because it was very much just a shots back and forth of, of scores, said at yeah. some point the defense needs to make a stop. And to their credit, they did. You got the the Dantzler interception in the fourth quarter, and yeah. that was that was the play that they desperately needed. And and yeah. you can say everything you want about how however many points was on the board, um, but for him to to make that play, that was the game. game it was a game saving play. Uh, yeah, it, it ended up not making a huge difference in the end, but but they needed something, and, and he came up huge there. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll say a word or two of it and then I'll transition to third down. Uh, but Cameron Dantzler, he's an impressive kid. You know, he's he's really, really made a huge, huge improvement. And I think they're saying during the game broadcast that last week, apparently he went to Zim during the game and asked to go on Mike Evans, uh, cover him against the Bucks, And so that says something about his confidence level. And then this game, you know, he was he was sharp for the most part in his coverage. And that interception, you know, Chicago's driving. It's a third down. They're in the red zone. If they score a touchdown there, the game's over. Because now it's a 10-point game, two-possession game. It's it's all done. But Dancer makes the interception, puts the ball back in Minnesota's hands, and it's game on. It's a three-point game. We have the ball back. Okay, what are you what are you gonna do now? And unfortunately. Maybe because of, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, Cousins kind of lamented at the end uh, some indecisiveness. Maybe it's because of uh, Kubiak's play calling. It's a combination of things, I'm sure. Uh, but we just didn't get it done. But you got to give some recognition to the rookie for, man, oh, man, what a clutch, tremendous play. And he gave us a chance. So, yeah. No, that's it's, it's what you uh... – what you're asking for at that at that point of the game. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, just as we transition to third down here, I think that I was asking you, like you you can see the odds. They're not great for, for the season. I for me, I you always want to keep hope. And two percent chance by uh, by five thirty eight. Is, is given to the Vikings to, to make the playoffs. And that's not, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great. You don't want to, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to make any bets or uh, put your, your, your saving for your down payment on, on odds like that, yeah. but it's not over. And I would like to, to keep hope. I, I think as an outsider, it's a little bit easier to keep hope sometimes than, someone who's who's been a fan and has been burned by the team and, and I think it's pretty safe to say that the the team we saw yesterday is not equipped to to go into a playoff series um, 
But I mean, if, you never if know. they, yeah, I mean, if they did go in, it probably wouldn't go well. No. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, I think Sammy, like, they're not equipped to succeed in the playoffs right now. Um, you know, one of the featured articles I did a couple months ago was just on the defense and how they're trying to rebuild it on the fly. And basically just making this argument that, you know, again, these, these coaches, they're stubbornly pursuing this objective, but the defense really, you know, the talent and the lack thereof, it screams rebuild. And I know that, like, there's just, there's not much they can do right now. They're right in the middle of the season. They've had all these injuries. They got all these young guys. I get it. And they got a tight salary cap, even worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sam's right. I mean, this defense is going to hold back the team, unfortunately, Uh some of it's their own fault. Some of it isn't. And, uh, and then otherwise, you know, with the special teams being, which shout out to Dan Bailey had a perfect day yesterday uh, and tip, tip of the cap to him for sure. But uh, this is not a team that's going to, even if they were to somehow sneak in, I think Sam and I agree. And probably most Vikings fans agree. This is not a team that's going to make a run to the Super Bowl. And, and for me, like I love the underdog story. And so I would love for them to do it and, and to make yeah. it, and when it comes down to a game, you never know. But yep. I think that it's very – from yesterday, I felt it was pretty clear that, that this team has some holes that would get exposed pretty significantly yes. in a playoff series or a playoff yes. game. Um, so I guess one of the questions then is, is what does success look like from here on out? Because at this point, you're kind of in that, that – zone where you you're 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 up you've you've got six wins to your name and so you're not going to get a top yep. draft pick but at this point the playoffs is is almost out of reach so what what do you what do you want from the next two games what are you hoping for as a Vikings fan yeah so I mean the playoffs so we're in neither extreme we're not going to get a elite draft pick we're, we're also not going to get into the playoffs and make noise in there and so really what we want to see, to my mind, what I want to see is more Cameron, Cameron Dantzler interceptions and more Jeff Gladney progress. And I want to see, you know, DJ Warnham on the field more. And for goodness sake, try Brett Jones on the offensive line. Give the guy a shot, like a legit shot to, to see. Because I think at this point, you're basically troubleshooting kind of the various issues that you have on your roster. And man, if you already have a solution, if Brett Jones is a legit NFL guard, then man, bonus. That that just makes free agency and the draft easier. It makes everything easier. And so to me, the focus shifts toward uh, troubleshooting some of these issues and seeing, you know, what kind of solutions do we have already and how can we develop some of these guys like DJ Wanham, like Armand Watts, like Jeff Gladney and Dantzler, et cetera, et cetera. How do we develop these guys so that uh, you know, next year, they are the solution. When we get in these tough games, they're the ones making these plays. They're the one making the difference. That's really what I'd like to see. So success, in my mind, becomes a very future-oriented word because success is not going to come in the short term. And I think, I mean, you and I see it. Vikings see it. I, I, I know it's not in Zimmer's DNA to, like, to throw game. And that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not suggesting that they just like not try in these next two games and just play all their backups or whatever. But uh, I also recognize the reality. And I think they probably recognize the reality that mathematically they're almost 
it's almost a certainty that's not going to happen. And so now then, if we can't succeed this year, then how do we succeed next year? That that's and I, and I know it's frustrating because we're always saying next year, but that's really got to be where the focus lies uh, because it's just not going to happen this year. Yeah, and and we will break down this season and we'll we'll do lots of of good yeah. reflection on this this year. And I think there's definitely some bright spots and and there's lots of good things to to take from. And, and I think that at the end of the day, that's all you can really do in a season that is yeah. disappointing. Um, you want to beat the Saints. Like that's, that's yes. pretty clear, right? Like you, like yes. that's, that would be huge. I know. Yes. I think we mentioned it last, last week, like you despise this, <laughs> this team. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> last week I said hated, despise all, any, any negative word you can think of. That, yeah, that that pretty sums up or pretty well sums up your your feelings towards them. Yeah, like, that's right. To to put a good licking on that team and and yeah and, and and beat them, that would be that would be a nice that would be a nice finish. It'd be a good Christmas gift for sure. I mean, if we could ruin Christmas for the Saints, like the true Viking, you know, small petty spiteful Vikings fan that I am, that would that would bring me some Christmas joy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a pretty quick turnaround, right? You got Friday Friday afternoon. Man, right after it. Yeah. I mean, and I know it's, this is, this is, um, we don't have a Thursday night game uh, this year. This, this is what counts as our Thursday night game. And so I guess, I mean, every team plays a Thursday nighter pretty much. And so every team experiences this. And I guess in one sense, we have an extra day because it's Friday now instead of Thursday, but it is, it is a quick turnaround, uh, especially after a tough divisional loss. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, we got got the Saints, and then and then finish it off with the Lions, and and we'll see. I, I think that you, yeah, at the end of the day, you really want compete. You want to yeah. to to battle it, and you also said you want to have some of these younger guys, these these younger players, continue to develop, continue to get opportunities to to shine and gain confidence. Absolutely, and I will say one other thing too, because I, I I mentioned the whole we're not going to have a high draft pick. And people have talked, and I, I bring this up because people have talked about this. You know, the, frustrated that the Vikings have won all these games, and you know, therefore taking us out of the running for maybe an elite quarterback or whatever. Keep in mind, Justin Jefferson, number twenty-two overall. This kid is probably going to go to Herbert. I certainly would th- say that he deserves Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's breaking records. He's had a, he, without exaggeration, he's had a historically great rookie year. He was taken at twenty-second. And so just because the Vikings have found themselves, they're probably going to be somewhere in the teens uh, for picks. Fine. There, there can be impact players. I think Aaron Donald went 11th overall. He's a Hall of Fame, unbelievably gifted player. And so great players can be picked at any point in the draft. Don't be without hope uh, in that sense. Um, yeah. So that, that's, that's my, my soapbox uh, uh, cause. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we'll enjoy doing some pre-draft work Certainly. and post-draft work. And, and I think Certainly. it's a fascinating year, too, just with the way the COVID's worked. Players haven't got the same opportunity to showcase their, yes. their stuff. And so I think there's just more wild cards. And that means that for a team that's picking later, there's a chance that, that you get someone that, hey, maybe if they got three or four more games, they would have... Right really improve their draft stock. And so 
it's going to be a lot of work for for these teams to yep. to do their research and to figure out what's happening. But absolutely, I think that the drafts in, in all the leagues this year, I think we just saw it in the NBA, mm -hmm. the draft that they had, the the way that people were ranked there based and stuff off of a lot of projections and, and not actually getting to see some of these guys play in the last year. So sure. I, I think that for sure you, you draft picks are, are in some ways uh, lottery tickets and, and you're hoping that things work out, but certainly there's, there's no doubt that you can get a, a good player where they'll, they'll end up picking. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So this is, this is the end of our, our breakdown for, for this past week, just, as we wrap up, I want to touch some on some odds and ends. Uh, for myself, I've talked about wanting to talk a little bit about the Minnesota Wild. And um, we look ahead right now. We've got the World Juniors Championship for hockey that starts in, in four days, starts on Christmas Day. There's going to be some good good sports on, on Christmas Day. And uh, for a year that maybe you're not able to get together with family as well as, as you would have before, maybe you just plop yourself down in front of the TV and, and throw on some football and some hockey. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, they have five prospects that are in this tournament. Um, Miniice.com, we mentioned them last week. They wrote an article this week. Um, Jake Jensen wrote highlighting each of the players and their teams and, and a little bit of writing about them. Uh, so go and check that out there. It's, it's, it's a great article. I was reading it uh, the last couple of days, just checking it out. Um, just to highlight some pieces, you've got Rossi from Austria. He's very much, I would say, they're they're one of their top prospects. So you got uh, him and, and Kaprasov, and and mm -hmm. then you've got uh, Boldy from USA. Uh, I there's a couple of Russian guys. Those I had to look it up to make sure I was pronouncing them right. But uh, Kusnandinov and Firstov from Russia, and then you got Novak from the Czech Republic. I'm super excited about Rossi. I know Kyle and I talked about him. Yeah. Um, Cause Kyle is a fan of the Detroit Red Wings and yeah. he was one of the players they were talking about picking at four. I think the Minnesota Wild got a huge steal with him at nine. Yes. And I like um, Jake compares some of the aspects of Rossi's game to Pavel Datsyuk. Yeah. I've seen people comparing yeah. Rossi's puck strength to Sidney Crosby. The, the conversations I've had and the people that I've seen, I'm very much not a, a prospect uh, analysis guy, but I do read a lot of stuff. And so everything I, I say and, and know is very much sec, secondhand regurgitating what people say, but the people I trust and the people that I've, I've seen and, and talked to just love this, this Rossi. And I think that as he plays for Austria, it's a super exciting chance because Everything that you see, Austria is pretty clearly the the weakest seed in this tournament. Uh, it's a tough tough spot, and Austria. This is their chance. They have been put into this tournament because they they won um, the kind of the, the tournament below below this, and and there's a plan, and so they they put themselves in here. But at the end of the day, if they end up finishing last, then they get sent right back down, and so. I think they've got a ton to fight for and with the way that COVID's working and if Rossi can, can really lead this team, I, I imagine he'll be playing 25 minutes a night pretty easily and, and in all situations, as, as Jake mentioned, but I think that this is just a fun team 
it'll be a fun team to cheer for and for them to be able to stay in this tournament and to not get relegated will be a success for them and anything else on top of that is just found money but but that will be a real fun fun opportunity for for this team and and i think that and i hope that they are able to stay in um but for those who haven't watched this tournament this is just this is absolutely one of my favorite moments of, of sports all year yeah, I think if you're if you're from Canada, I think it's a bigger deal in Canada than it is in the States. I mean, the World Junior, it's a highlight, the sporting calendar. It's just a fantastic tournament. But Stan, can I hit you with kind of an off-the-cuff question about so Marco Rossi and then you mentioned Kaprizov. So these are our top two prospects, right? Who yeah. who should the wild be more excited about between these two? Oh man. So Kaprizov has been kind of mentioned for the last couple of years as the best yeah. prospect outside of the NHL. And I think that uh, in, in some ways he's very much uh, could be a dynamic player, could yeah. be a lot of fun. It it really depends on what kind of hockey fan you are, because I can just see Rossi being this. Like I actually have seen articles that have pitched, and I like from an organizational standpoint, they may not go for it, but I feel like he's actually probably their best center in their organization, and like should be their number one center this year. And I was looking, you look at the depth chart, and it's not super encouraging at, at center. It's, it's like, it's, yeah. t- it's tough. And, and, and the way that Minnesota plays and the way they're going to choose. And, and I think that you give players the opportunity to step up. And, and I think you look at the Vegas Golden Knights and their expansion a couple of years ago, when you get, give people a chance to step up, they can make it happen. Um, personally, I'm more excited about Rossi, but yeah, both both are just fantastic, and I think that the hope uh, is that they are a feature piece on on the first line for for years to come. I think that's really exciting for for fans. Um, so that that would be I, I kind of danced around the question, um, but <laughs> I know it's fair enough. It's, it's an impossible question. It's like if you put it to me and said who's who should you throw it to, Thielen or Jefferson? It's like well, Frig. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, they're they're both amazing, and so. Maybe the same thing with Kaprizov and Rossi, where you say, I mean, they're both tier one prospects. And so wild fans should be excited about both. It's, it's, yeah, yeah very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. So I guess I'm going to, uh, before we get to the closing words, I'm going to offer my word of wisdom. And so this week, uh, for my personal devotional times, the Bible, I've been reading through Ecclesiastes, which is kind of a strange book to be reading. Uh, as we lead up to Christmas. But anyhow, that's what I've been reading. And one of the things that you'll, uh, if you're to open your Bible and go to Ecclesiastes, you'll eventually find your way to a passage where Solomon's talking about how there's a time for everything in life. Talks about, you know, there's a time to live, time to die. There's a time to be happy, time to be sad. You know, there's a time for feasting and there's a time for mourning, you know, and he basically goes through this long list. And so that's certainly true uh, with what Solomon's saying. This is Old Testament wisdom literature thousands of years old. And so it's true, certainly within kind of this context of this genre of lit that existed, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, and and certainly Christians can take wisdom from it now. But I think there's also some wisdom for us as Vikings fans, there's a time for everything. And so one of these days, golly, some I, I doubt if it's going to be in my lifetime. But one of these days, the Vikings are going to break through, there's a time for everything. And so it's it's going to happen for us. And yes, it will even happen for Sam and his Maple Leafs. 
And so discouraging days currently, but learn from Solomon, learn from Ecclesiastes. The futility won't continue forever. There's a time for everything. Absolutely. We've, we've talked about it. Kyle, Kyle, I know, is, is a diehard Vikings fan. And, and for me, with hockey, the Toronto Maple Leafs are my team. And I know that Toronto Maple Leaf fans aren't, aren't well received or, or liked anywhere. And I own that. And we've said, just, we just want one. One championship in our lifetime is, is all we need. And uh, you know what? One of our teams... I say one of our teams wins in the next decade. And and for listeners, hopefully right. it's the Vikings. Um, <laughs> for me, selfishly, I hope it's the Leafs. But but we if if we both both our teams got one championship, that's all we need. Amen. And uh, and so hopefully hopefully that day comes sooner rather than later. Hopefully we're here to talk about it when that happens. Amen. So, absolutely. Anyways. We want to thank you all for listening. We were super encouraged to see that that people are actually listening to what we had to say last week, and we hope that people continue to listen. Um, we want to make sure that you know to stop by thevikingsgazette.com for great Minnesota Vikings news, commentary, and analysis. And the Viking, Vikings Gazette can be found on Twitter at Vikings Gazette, and me personally can be found at Sam Allison ninety eight. Thanks for listening and enjoy the holidays.